If I was to ask you this question, how do you feel about yourself right now? Are you happy? Right? Because this is a season of joy and happiness. So how happy are you? Are you feeling joy? Are you feeling contentment during this most marvelous and wonderful of all seasons? My guess is many of you would probably say no. You, won't, you don't have this joy. And the reason you don't have joy, and, and it happens to me too, is that we suffer from what we call discontentment. And discontentment is one of the biggest killers of joy. And this season of all season brings out discontentment. You know, I love looking at these commercials that try to sell products right before Christmas. I don't know if you've ever seen that one about the Nerf gun, but th- there's this one commercial where the parents give their son a Nerf gun. It's a little Nerf gun, and the kid is, oh, wow, thank you, Mom and Dad. Then he opens up his uncle's present that his uncle gave him, and guess what? It's a bigger Nerf gun. And he goes, whoa, thank you, Uncle. And then the, you could just see the parents. They look at each other like, oh, man. And the wife goes like this to the husband. So the husband comes back. Here, son, here's another Christmas present. He opens it up, and it's an even bigger Nerf gun. And he is just so happy. And the uncle is like, ah, you know. And then while he's happy, grandma comes in, right? And she comes in, this huge Nerf gun, right? And she beat all of them. But you know what? Isn't that the way we live our lives? We get something until we realize that there's something bigger, better, newer that comes along. And then we go after that. And we live in that society today. And, you know, with the ad, with social media, I think that makes us even more discontent, right? We look at Facebook. We look at Instagram. We look at all of these things and we go... Whoa, look at where they went on vacation or, you know, people Instagram where they're going to dinner or restaurants. Whoa, look where they went. Look what they're eating. Here I'm at home eating ramen. And, oh, they're out there eating whatever, right? And so that breeds discontentment. But see, the problem with discontentment, if you are discontent, it bleeds over to every aspect of your life. It affects the people around you. If you're parents and you're discontent, you know what that does? That bleeds over to your children. You know, and of course we want our children to do our best. But if we are discontent, what happens? As we start comparing them to other children. And when our child does well, hey, we're happy until somebody else's kid does better. Then it's like, oh. And then we try to force them to do better. Why? Because we're not content. You know, we should try to um, push them to be the best they could be, but we need to be content with whatever that best is, right? Or or maybe it's the material things we have. We get something until we see somebody else get something better. And instead of being happy with them, we just feel this discontent. You know, why do they get that and I don't? So it takes our joy away. And in order for us to have joy, we need to learn what it means to be content. We need to ask ourselves a question, when is enough enough? And I have the answer, it's never enough. 
It's never enough. If we're not content, I don't care what it is, nothing is ever going to be enough. There's always going to be somebody better than you. There's always going to be somebody worse than you. There's always going to be some child smarter than your child, more successful, but then your child will be more successful and smarter than somebody else's child. Whatever it is, it's never enough. And so we're going to start off by looking um, by, by the example of the Apostle Paul and how he discovered contentment. So if you look with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, we're going to see what the Apostle Paul talks about when he talks about um, how to be content. And we'll start with Philippians 4, verse 10. And Paul was saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. This is the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, Paul gets it. He goes, look, you know, I know what it's like to live when, you know, I'm hungry and I don't have enough to eat or it doesn't seem like I have a lot to live on. But he said, on the other side, I know what it's like to live in plenty. And he realized that if his life, if his contentment was based upon his current circumstances, he would never be content. Why? Because there were some times that he had a lot, and there were some times he had a little. And Paul knew that when he had a lot, that if his contentment was based upon that, he would only be content when he had. But when there were times when there were the leaner times, he would not be content. But basically what his contentment was in God's provision. Because there are going to be times of scarcity. So he knew and he learned no matter whether times are good, no matter when times are bad. You know, God was the one who enabled him to have the attitude of contentment to continue on and do ministry and serve him no matter what the circumstances. Because there are so many people who want to serve God. And when things are good, it's like, praise God, I'm serving you. You know, I want to glorify you. God, use me to make a difference in this world. Then what happens when things go bad? It's like, oh man, God, what's going on here? We take our focus off God and put it what? On ourselves. You know, how do I get back to the place where I have a lot? And then we get discontent. Well, Paul knew that the only way to be content is with his relationship with God. Not through his circumstances and not through his possessions. And so there are certain things that we're going to learn about how to be content. And the first principle is content people are good stewards of their possessions. Content people are good stewards of their possessions. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So basically, what's the psalmist saying here? God owns it all. You don't. You know, God does. And so when you start looking at your possessions, which include your children, 
your career, your gifts, your talents, everything. It what? It belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It's not yours. God only gives us to you so you could be a good steward of it. So when you get that mindset, you understand that, okay, contentment, well, you know, it's not mine anyway. You know, God gives, <laughs> and God could take it away. And if he takes it away, well, he could take it away because it's not mine. Mine contentment is in the Lord. And Jesus tells, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about stewardship. He says, you know, basically a CEO goes on a business trip and he gives his executive vice presidents a certain amount of money to manage. And so he goes off on his trip, but he gives this one executive VP five bags of gold. And so when he comes back, this VP wisely invested his five bags of gold and he turned it into 10 bags. And this is what Jesus said, or the uh, master says in um, Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one. He says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What did Jesus say here? What was the point that Jesus was trying to make here? If you are faithful in the small things, if you steward the small things that God has given you. Then what God is saying, then I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you more. Right? Why? Because you know how to manage my possessions. Right? If you squander them on just yourself, do you think God's going to bless you? No. No. And the key to blessing is what? Stewardship. And this isn't that prosperity gospel. This isn't where, okay, you know what, I'm going to give a lot of money, and if I get a lot of money, then God's going to give a lot of money. No. What God is saying here, all of these things are mine, and I'm going to give them to you to steward, and I want you to use them to bless other people. And if you do that well, you know what? It shows me your heart, and it shows me that you could be trusted with these things, so I'm going to give you more so you could bless more people. That is the principle of stewardship. And so content people understand that. They understand that this isn't mine, that whatever I have is to be used to be a blessing of others. And if I do that wisely, God will give me more. God will give me more. That is the first principle. The second one is that content people are grateful for what they have, not disappointed in what they do not have. And I think this is most of us, whether it's possessions, whether it's relationships, whether we're, you know, we're single looking at those who have, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether we're looking at people who have families, whether we're looking at people who have, you know, living in a certain area or, or whatever. I think this is where most of us fall down is we're not grateful for what we have because we're disappointed about what we do not have. And in First Thessalonians 5, 8, the Apostle Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus if we want to glorify God if we want to follow his will what's his will for us to be thankful in all circumstances you know the problem with us is we live in a time of entitlement don't we Where it's like, hey, I deserve this. I'm entitled to that. But you know what? God never promised to give us 
you know, what we want. He promised to give us what we need. He didn't promise to give us what we think we are entitled to. You know, and I used to be bothered by Matthew 6.31, where it says, so do not, this is Jesus saying, so do not worry, you know, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the reason this used to bother me is I used to look around to the poor of Christians all over the world and say, God, how does this verse apply to them? You know they're hungry. You know they need clothes. You know they need housing. Why aren't you giving it to them? Does this verse not apply to them? Until I went on a missions trip. And I went to Mexico to help build a house. And we were putting a roof of just these wooden, um, you know, I don't know what you call the planks on the roof. But inside the home, it was just concrete cinder blocks, like this big square. And the windows looked like somebody just got a sledgehammer and punched out holes. There was no electricity, no running water, and there was no floor. It was dirt, and a new family was moving in. And I was just going, oh, this is bad. You know, for them. And I felt so bad for them. And I was saying, um, and this family was so happy to live here. And I was asking one of the people, how could they be so happy to live here? Look at this. I mean, the kids are going to be growing up on dirt floors. You know, no electricity, no warmth. And they said, well, it's better than living in a cardboard box. They were happy with just that. And then I go to Myanmar and Thailand. And I see these kids who are separated from their parents because of the war and everything that's going on there. And I'm seeing them worship God at the top of their lungs. And it puts us to shame. They are so happy. Then you go to an orphanage where, you know, I hear stories of what these children had to go through. No child should have to go through that. And yet, too, they are happy. They are content. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and the problem I realized that in their poverty, (laughs) they were more content than I was. And the problem was I was comparing my life to them. I said, you know what? If they had more conveniences, God, why don't you give them more? They'd be happier. You know, if, if they had running water, if they had heat, if they had a floor, they would be happier. You know, in reality... If they had more, they would be just as discontent as me. They would just be discontent as me. But see, they didn't have that. And so they were just happy with what they had. They were thankful for the four cinder block walls that they had. And they, why? Because they weren't looking to be content with something else. We need to be thankful for what we have and not disappointed in what we do have. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you do not have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. You know, you could keep... The reason why... um, 
Solomon says, looking at the things that you don't have or desiring the things that you don't have, it's meaningless because he knows it never ends. It's meaningless. You know, you make it one thing, you say, oh, this is great. You know, I mean, you know, like I said, I've had an instant pot for a long time. You know, I cook with it. I love it. The next thing you know, hey, there's an instant pot that actually roasts. That ninja just, uh, not ninja, I forgot who came out with that, but I go, whoa, not only does this pressurize and cook a chicken fast, it also could roast it. Whoa, isn't that great? Mine could just cook a chicken fast, you know? But isn't that what happens when we see things like that? Something always newer, something better comes out. It's never, ever enough. Finally, content people are generous with their finances, time, and service to others. And the Apostle Paul says in First. Timothy 6, starting with uh, verse 18. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be willing to share. Be willing to share. Be rich in good deeds, right? I remember three weeks ago, we had a design team meeting, and I was leaving. But then I heard God say, no, turn around and go back. Because that night they were having a prayer meeting that the Porter House of Prayer has a prayer meeting here every Thursday. And so as I was leaving, I just turned my car on and came back. And that's the prayer meeting that we see Andrew at, you know, every single Thursday. And as I sat down, they were worshiping. But as I was sitting there and worshiping, this one person who I didn't even know came up to me and goes, and she was kind of like trembling but excited at the same time. And she said, God gave me something for you. And she went on to say, I hope this is okay for if I say this to you. But then she, she went on and on saying, this is what God gave me about you. And at first I said, hey, are you sure you got the right person here? That maybe God's prophesying, hey, maybe it's somebody else. But she kept on going on. You know, I'm not going to share it because I don't want to sound like I'm boasting. But at that time, I was tired. At that time, I was beat up. And I just went there and sat. But she came over, and she gave me a word that I'll never forget. And many times, the things that I remember the most, the things that are the most significant things in my life are words that people have given me. Those are the things I treasure, not things not money. Paul says to do good deeds with whatever you have. And he said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Meaning the more that you bless people, the more that you will be blessed by God and others. But if you're stingy, if you're stingy with your finances, with your time, and your acts of service and deeds to, uh, to other people, guess what? <laughs> You're going to reap sp- uh, sp- uh, sparingly also. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheer- cheerful giver. See, generosity is determined... By what, excuse me, generosity is not determined by what you give, but what you keep. Right? How many of you thought that generosity is always measured by how much you give? No, 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 no. Generosity is not determined by what you give, but by what you keep. You know, Jesus tells 
a story about this. Well, he and his disciples, they were in the temple, and they were watching um, people tithe. And, you know, there were some wealthy people that came, and they would come, and they would tithe, right? And so back then, they had, you know, tithing things similar to like this, and they didn't have paper money, they had coins. So the wealthy people would come in, and they'd be giving their tithe. So what? Did you all hear that? And that was a purpose why people gave. So everybody could hear it and say, wow, they gave a lot. So it's like, hey, look at me. And Jesus said, this is what the wealthy were giving, right? This is what they were giving. But then they also then see this one poor widow, this one poor widow, and she comes up. And she just gives two copper pennies. And this is how much she could give, right? And then Jesus asked the question, who gave more? And everybody's probably going to think, these are the people that give more. Come on, Jesus. What kind of question is that? But Jesus also goes and tells them, you know the wealthy? They gave. But they gave out of their excess. Even though they gave a lot, they had so much more to give. All right, but they held on to that. They gave out of their excess. But this poor widow, she gave out of her poverty. You know this? This is all she had. This is all she had to live on. And she gave it. You know. And so once again, who gave more? The wealthy people who gave out of their excess, who had so much more, but they just gave a portion, which seemed like a lot, or this widow. See, the question God is asking, or the question you should be asking God, is how much do you want me to keep? And how much do you want me to give? See, you only be blessed, and you will only be happy when you give this. So as you look into this Christmas season, maybe when you give of your finances to somebody, are you giving this or are you giving that? When it comes to your time that you give to others to spend time with them because maybe they need, you know, because Christmas could be a lonely time for some, right? So do you choose to spend your time like this? Or like that. You know, you know, you might know people that need to be encouraged. Do you use your words or your kind deeds like this? Or like that? Will you give out of your generosity and you withhold from people? You will only be truly happy and truly blessed when you give sacrificially when it costs something when it costs something whether it's finances whether it's your time whether it's giving a kind word even if that kind word means congratulating somebody that got the promotion that you wanted right or maybe it's that kind deed maybe you see somebody that you could help them do you withhold that or do you help them that kind deed? 
The only way of having joy this Christmas is if you're content. And the only way to be content is to do the things that we talked about today. And so what is our weekly challenge this week? Our weekly challenge is this. I would like you to read Philippians 4, 10 to 13, you know, every single day. And I know we could all do this. Is I want you to identify any area where you do not feel content. What are the areas in your life where right now when you think about it, it's like, hey, I wish I had more. I wish my kids could be more. Or I wish I could have more. Okay, identify those things. Then I want you to remind yourself that you are God's steward for all that you possess. Believe it or not, everything you have, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Um, Be thankful for what you have and not disappointed in what you do not have, right? Finally, God wants you to be a cheerful, cheerful giver. And so this is the action. It says, give from either your finances, time, a kind word, or a deed to three people this week. Do that. Do that. So you could experience the joy of being a blessing to other people. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you did not hold anything back when you sent your son Jesus Christ into this world. Father, that you gave us everything in order that we might have everything. And Father, this is why we celebrate Christmas. With your generosity for us. That through your son and that horrible death that he would once experience. That you did so out of love and generosity. That we might have eternal life. Because you are willing to give us everything. And Father, I know that there are areas in each one of our lives where we are discontent right now. Where we're really not thankful for what we have and we're disappointed about what we don't have. We compare ourselves to other people. And Father, that's just robbing us from our joy. And Father, we hold on to things because we feel discontent. Whether it's our money, whether it's our time, whether it's our uh, words or good deeds, we just hold on to them stingily. But Father, I pray, Lord, this week that you would change each one of our hearts. Father, that we would truly be a blessing to other people. That we would realize, Father, that everything we have, it doesn't belong to us. And everything we do have is just temporary. The joy that these things give us is just temporary. But Father, we can do all things through your Son, Christ Jesus. That through our faith, in our relationship with you, we could be content in all circumstance. So Father, may this Christmas be the first Christmas where we take a step towards being content by trusting in you, by thanking you, and adoring you for being our loving God and Father.
In your son's name we pray. Amen.